so, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. This is the word of God. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for, them, for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God. And without further ado, would you give a huge Roosevelt round of applause for Matthew Hoskinson? It is an absolute delight to be part of the team. Uh, we have prayed for this church many times over the years. We've known the Sadlers since before Hope Church was born. And uh, we've been at various events, various opportunities, uh, volunteer things. And it's actually when I was on Easter, um, I got an email to help out with the egg hunt in Queens. Angelica helped out the day before here, our oldest daughter. And I helped out over there. And literally walking home from that, I thought, I think I'm hearing something divine. And uh, so I'm just grateful for God's leadership and grateful to be joined with both of you uh, and all of you as part of the Hope and Mosaic churches. Uh, Would you pray with me as we seek the Lord and hear his word? Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're in this series called The Generous Way. Amanda started the series off last week and talked about the shift in perspective that Jesus has given us. And today we're looking at this passage Dan read that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That sermon is an announcement from Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And it's an announcement that's saying that the kingdom of heaven is coming down to earth. And this is what life is going to look like for citizens of the kingdom of heaven in this new world that God is shaping on earth. But the passage that Dan read for us at the end of Matthew, or in the middle of Matthew 6, tells us that, there, that the kingdom of heaven is not coming to this glorious welcome by everybody. That in fact there is another kingdom. That in fact there is another God that is resisting the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. And he identifies the name of that God in the last word of verse 24 when he says you cannot serve both God and money. Now that's actually a a particular term that Jesus uses here from the Aramaic language. You might know the word. It's the word mammon. Mammon wasn't just uh, a, a word to describe money. Mammon was like a name. It was a name. They used it in Aramaic to speak of wealth, not just as wealth, but wealth personified, as if it were a person. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. 
that intentionally, Jesus uses that word intentionally to set up against the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth, a rival God and a rival kingdom. We might not use the word mammon anymore, but we have our own way of saying the same point. We might speak of the almighty dollar, right? Which as one biblical scholar put, says, that's dangerously close to the almighty God. Or maybe even more colloquially, we'll make a statement like this, money talks and I'll leave the rest to your imagination, right? I mean, why do we say things like that? Because of the power that money has. And, and it's not just that money leaves words for us. It's not just that it describes things for us. Money speaks with authority, with a pseudo-divine authority, which is why N.T. Wright, the former bishop of Durham, writes, what Jesus is saying is that money gives orders. It bosses you around. And Jesus is very much concerned that money will dictate the way we live our lives, that money will displace the true king from his rightful position of authority. What's more, he is concerned that we might delude ourselves into thinking that we are serving the one true God, the God of heaven coming down to earth, while in fact we are serving mammon, the idol of money. I mean, why else would Jesus take pains to say it's impossible for you to serve God and money if we were not guilty of that very attempt? So we have two authoritative voices, the one true God and the rival God, money. And both voices are giving orders. Both voices are telling us how to look at life, how to look at our stuff, how to look at our possessions, how to look at our bank accounts. Now, what I find ironic is that both voices, even though they're completely different in their orders and what they're telling us to do, both voices start from the same place. Both voices actually make the same observation about life in this world. Jesus is the one who states it clearly in verse 19 when he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now notice his observation about life in this world. Where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. And, just in case we missed it, he repeats it the other way. Right? Store up for yourselves, verse 20, treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus invites us to look at the world as it is. And when we do, we find two different threats to our stuff. Both of them are identified with the word where. The first threat you might call a natural threat. This is a pretty picturesque way to describe it. Moths and vermin. We know plenty about that. Hopefully not too much, but enough, right? This is a picturesque way to speak of what we call entropy. Remember entropy from science class eons ago? Things are getting worse and worse. Things move from order to chaos. They do not naturally go from chaos to order. And you know that's true. The clothes in your closet do not get better with age. No matter what you tell your wife about that flannel, 
It's not getting better, and you probably should throw it out. She's right, okay? The colors do not become more vibrant. Moth holes do not magically repair themselves in your favorite sweater. These are natural threats. It's entropy. The present world is a world of entropy. But there's a second kind of threat, and this is not natural threats. These are personal threats. Thieves breaking in and stealing. See, friends, when it comes to our stuff, it's not just that we have to put mothballs in storage boxes to keep away the natural threats. You have to put a lock on your door to keep people from stealing stuff. I'm sure if every one of us described our current living situation, we would have all kinds of differences. Number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, size of the kitchen, use of the kitchen, whatever, right? But one thing that would be true of all of our homes is we all have a lock on the door. And if you're a New Yorker, you have three, right? We recognize that there are threats, that this world is not just a world of entropy, it's a world of evil. Now notice, the God of money starts from the same vantage point. Both Jesus makes the observation, look at the world as it is. It's a world of entropy and a world of evil. The God money actually starts at the same point. In, but it's, but it, it flips Jesus' exhortation on its head. What money says is, in, in, well, what Jesus says is, in view of entropy and evil, store up your treasures in heaven. But the God money says, look at how things wear out. Look how bad people steal things that don't belong to them. Quite obviously, you do not have enough. Therefore, you need to go and get you some more. The God of money tells us in light of threats natural and personal that you need to protect what you have and go keep grabbing for more. And that's where this warning, really this loving challenge to the God of money is not just for rich people. Jesus is not simply condemning the 1%. He's going after a mindset that can be present at the top of the economic ladder or at the bottom. Now, if you're in the top or at the top of that ladder, it might be more obvious since people can see you with more stuff, right? Like maybe you have nicer clothes. Maybe you take a cab more regularly than others do. Maybe your vacations are a few notches nicer than other people's vacations. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to come back to that point in a few moments. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, the word to you, if you're kind of at the top of the economic ladder, is Jesus is going after that mindset. Do you really need another house, another apartment? Do you really need a more extravagant vacation? Do you really need to spend that much on your child's wedding? But friends, I say that the mentality Jesus is challenging is not reserved for the 1%. In fact, it might be an even bigger temptation further down the economic ladder. I say this as the child of blue-collar workers from Detroit. Two parents who both retired from Ford Motor Company. It might not be so obvious because our buying power down here is not what the buying power is up there. 
But the thought that drives so much of our behavior is, I don't have enough. I need more. And friends, that's the mindset Jesus is going after. It's what Stephen Covey calls in his book, Seven Habits. It's what he calls the scarcity mentality. It's the mentality that says, I don't have enough. There's one pie out there in the world, and my slice is too narrow. And other people have the other slices. So what I need to do is I need to cut into other people's slices so that my slice is bigger. And then when I get my slice, I need to hoard it and keep it because it's mine. I don't have enough. Others have what I need, so I will use others and bend the rules to get what I need. This is what money teaches us as a God, mammon. This is what idolatry looks like. And friends, it is a ruthless God. It is ruthless. You know why? Because more is a shifting target. It's like the laser pointer with the cat. And the cat's like, right? That's what money does with the word more. Because right now you might be saying, man, if only I had $100 to stock my pantry. But then, once you have that, it becomes, man, if only I had $1,000 to get current on my bills. And if you have that, then it becomes, man, if only I had $10,000 to get out of debt. And then it becomes, man, if I only had $50,000 to put towards my child's education. And then it becomes, man, if I only had $100,000 to add to my retirement accounts. And then it becomes, man, I want a place by the beach when I retire. See, more is a moving target. And just when you think you hit it, the God Mammon says, more. Mammon is never satisfied. The scarcity mentality is never satisfied with what it has. You say, well, wait a second, wait a second. I mean, we do need, like, food in our pantry, right? And vacations are okay. I sure hope so. I'm getting ready to go on one. I mean, Jesus knows that we need physical stuff, right? He's not telling us to buy, stop buying food, is he? Well, of course not. Remember what he's going after is the mindset. He's going after that mentality, what drives our behavior as it relates to our possessions. And friends, if we're honest, this describes the way we think almost all the time. And that's where Jesus comes to you with these words. And he comes to you with these words, not like a lightning bolt to incinerate us in our brokenness, but he comes to us with these words as a lifeline from a friend as we're drowning in the ocean. Because Jesus' concern here is not to burden you under a new taskmaster. His concern is for your heart, which is why he says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think all of my life I've thought Jesus was kind of tut-tutting us at this point. Now, where your treasure is, that's where your heart really is. And it didn't occur to me until I was meditating on this passage for this sermon this week that Jesus is not tut-tutting us at all. He's trying to protect us. He is saying, if you set your heart on things that are perishable, on things that moths can literally eat through, on things that you have to throw away from your refrigerator, if you set your heart on things that rust can destroy, then your heart will be empty in the end, and I don't want that for you. 
Jesus doesn't want your heart. He doesn't want who you really are. He doesn't want your identity to be extorted by the God of money. He wants you to experience the freedom that comes from knowing the one true God. Remember, this whole sermon is about, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is about this kingdom of heaven coming down. So he's saying, you don't have to bow down to the rival God anymore. He is a brutal taskmaster, and he need not be your God. So rather than looking at a world of entropy and evil and concluding that you need to amass even more stuff, Jesus calls us to look at a world of entropy and evil and set our gaze somewhere else. Not on earth, that is not at more money, more stuff, more possessions. Don't kill yourself trying to build your portfolio. Instead, verse 20, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Set your gaze on this new kingdom. Put your treasures where neither entropy nor evil can touch them. Now, I need to make a point here because I think we Christians, we who describe ourselves as followers of Christ, get off track right here. Because we hear this heaven and earth language and we start thinking like the old Greek philosophers, the Gnostics think, well, this stuff, physical stuff is bad. Money, bad. Food, bad. Clothing, bad. All necessary evils. Spiritual, good, right? <laughs> Beauty, love, all of that is good. And so we want to live in this spirit, pure spirit realm and get out of the nasty physical world. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying there's earth and there's heaven and never the twain shall meet. Remember, what is he saying? He's saying the kingdom of heaven is coming down to inhabit this earth. Okay? That means the physical stuff matters, which answers all the way back to the beginning of the Bible where God created all this physical stuff and he didn't say, mm -mm, necessary evil, necessary evil, uh, necessary evil. No, he said, good, good, very good. Okay? So don't get hung up there. The earthly world is being invaded by the good heavenly world. And so what he's calling us to do is not divest ourselves of our earthly possessions. He's calling us to align our priorities with the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus, at the end of this chapter, calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things like food and clothing and houses, all those things will be added to you. But your, your attention is not focused on all this stuff. Your attention is focused on his kingdom. And what does his kingdom consist of? There are no borders to the kingdom of God, right? You can't go to the United Nations, you know, and see there's Burma, right? There's Canada, and up there's the kingdom of God, right? No, it's not borders. The kingdom consists of people. People. And it's... Those people who are characterized by being poor in spirit and who hunger and thirst for righteousness and who are meek, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom is marked by righteousness, seeking justice, establishing peace, bringing about human flourishing. Here and now, not just someday way off then, but here and now. So when Jesus says that we are to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, he's telling us to spend our lives on kingdom priorities, people and justice. Spend your life for that. 
You see how he turns things every, all the way back around from what the God of money has done. He flips it back around because Mammon says, you use people and bend the rules to bring in more stuff. And Jesus says, you use stuff and, use, and spend your money to bring in people and a world of justice. Set your gaze on what really matters, people and justice. But friends, make no mistake, can I say it this way? Jesus is, is just as totalitarian in what he says as the God mammon is. You're all worried that the new executive pastor is coming to preach on tithing. And I'm like, well, that is kind of fitting that my very first sermon here would be on money, right? But this passage is not about tithing. This passage is not about 10%. He wants the whole thing. He wants every dime you have to be invested in people and justice. After all, he is a master, verse 24. And maybe that is the other irony that I find in this passage. The one is that they both start in the same place with the same observations about the world. But the other irony is that they both end in the same place as well. A demand for total loyalty. And that might sound like bad news. Indeed, it would be bad news. Except for one enormous difference between the two gods. A difference that is so powerful and so life-changing that literally Billions of people have left the God of money because of this difference. Do you know what that difference is? Mammon says, live your life for me. But Jesus says, I will live this life for you. I will do everything I require of you. I will do it even before you were born. You see, Jesus, my friends, is the truly rich one. Richer than the 500 wealthiest people in the world right now combined. Because it's all his. Every atom of it. And yet, because of his love for God, his love for the kingdom of heaven, his love for people, and his love for justice, he left it all and was born in poverty. Born to an unmarried woman in a barn. For decades, he worked as a tradesman, unknown by anyone outside his family. And then he gave his last best years to telling people about the kingdom of God. He helped people. He healed people. He exhausted himself for people. He never had so much as a pillow. And then one day, the people who clamored for his attention instead called for his crucifixion because the kingdom he was offering was not the one that they wanted. And he, the richest man of all time, died like a criminal, worse than a beggar. Though he had done nothing wrong. Why this injustice? Friends, the Apostle Paul tells us, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for you, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich, you see, Mammon says, 
You don't have enough. You're in a position of emptiness and you need to go make yourself full. But friends, the very life of the Son of God shows that God's kingdom is not one of emptiness to fullness. God's kingdom is a kingdom of fullness to emptiness. The God of money says, look at the world as it is. See the entropy, see the evil. You don't have enough, so go get more. But the Son of God says, look at the world as it is, full of entropy and full of evil, but you have me, and I am enough. The one who is rich impoverished himself so that you would be rich. The one who is full emptied himself so that you would be full. Friends, Jesus lived this life for you, and then he died the death. We should have died as idolaters, coveting, wanting money, wanting more. But he did not stay in that grave. He rose again to break the power of sin and injustice and to welcome people like us, covetous though we are, anxious though we are, idolatrous as we are. He welcomes people like us into his kingdom that is coming on earth right now. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus lived this life for you, not just as your example, but as your savior. And as we step into the fullness of all that he is, he calls us to follow his steps. Jesus lived this life for you. He emptied himself to make you full. He generously gave of himself to make you flourish. And now he calls us to follow his lead. Out of his fullness to empty ourselves for others. So friends, turn from your scarcity mentality. Can you begin to identify that in your heart? When you're holding on to stuff out of fear and anxiety and out of that voice of mammon saying you don't have enough, Hang on to that. I mean, like, literally, can you go into your closet or into your drawers and honestly look at this with the Spirit present with you and say, how much of this do I have because you have just blessed me with good things, and how much do I have here that really I'm just, I'm just hoarding because I'm fearful? And there are people that I could bless. There are people who could flourish with some of these outfits that I, I don't need. Friends, instead of using people to bring more stuff into your personal kingdom, turn it around and use your stuff to bring more people into the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom is coming to earth. It began with his first coming and will be realized at his second. And until then, friends, we are all prophets testifying to the reality of this kingdom by what we say and by how we live. May God's spirit fix our eyes on our generous King Jesus so that we might find our fullness in him.